Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. know me my name is David I'm one of the pastors here on staff and you would expect me to say it is my privilege to stand up and preach to you today and it is truly my privilege but I mean that from the bottom of my heart because on Friday night I stood over there in about that second row as we were finishing up worship during our Good Friday service and I had tears rolling down my face absolutely just wrecked by my sinfulness realizing just how sinful I was and then thinking in a moment all I had to do on Friday was take the pulpit and carry it to here like Gabe just did that's all I had to do and I was like wiping the tears away because the reality that in 36 hours I would have to stand up here and preach the gospel to you all like I don't deserve to be up here I don't deserve the right to preach this and you may be thinking well why the heck are you in Revelation on Easter well, I want to tell you why, because I'm not a normal pastor, and this ain't going to be a normal Easter for you all, okay? So, yeah, 7 o'clock, I'm not a morning person. I was kind of low energy. 9 o'clock, I was up, and now I'm about up to here, because I just prayed and asked God for supernatural energy, so you all better just hang on, because we're getting ready to go for a ride, because this text in Revelation highlights and looks at the work of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and what it means for us in his imminent return that is coming one day, and it cannot come sooner. So there's so much to unpack here, but I'm going to go ahead and just get this out of the way from the beginning, okay? There are some of you in this room now that are skeptics. You are not believers. You think this is all just a waste of time, and I will tell you this. If Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, you are dead right. I ought to close up this Bible, leave it sit here because it's worthless, and walk right out those doors and shut off the lights and never come back and see what the city does with an empty building because we are wasting our time if he is not resurrected. This thing would be a joke. Paul even writes about that in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We were even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have no hope in this, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We should be pitied, and like I said, wrap it up right now. But here's the deal. Jesus Christ is risen. It is not just that we're here today to preach it, because we preach it every single Sunday. We preach the gospel that he is risen. But I'm telling you, today, he is risen. I could walk through all, all through the history and tell you about how 500 people saw him and this and point you to all these different um, non-biblical historical texts to point you to the resurrection of Jesus. I don't have time to do that. You can look it up for yourself, but he is risen. It is a historical fact, and it's going to be an eternal fact one day. But here's what I need you to see. That because he's risen, 
I need you to understand who is Jesus. That's the first point we're going to see from this text is who is Jesus? Because what's the point of celebrating the resurrection if we don't know who he really is, the resurrected Jesus? And you may be thinking, well, that's a simple question, David, but yet it's so profound. And here's the deal. No matter your status of your faith, whether this is your first time in church in years or you've been here every week or you have no desire to believe in any of this, it does matter what you think of Jesus, and we all think something of him. Maybe... My mind, when I wrote this, this is, shows my maturity, okay? My mind went to Talladega Nights, all right? That's my, that's my mentality. I'm about, like, the, I have 11-year-old twin boys. I'm about two years ahead of them in, in maturity, okay? All right? So my mind went to Talladega Nights, that opening scene. They're sitting there with their bountiful feast of Taco Bell, KFC, and Powerade, and Pizza Hut. And, and Will Farrell's character, um, Ricky Bobby, he starts praying. He's like, dear baby Jesus, thank you for this food. And he gets interrupted. His wife's like, you know, Ricky, like, he grew up, right? And he's like, yeah, that's how I like to picture Jesus. And then John C. Riley butts in. He goes, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt. Or, or with eagle wings playing lead guitar for Led Zeppelin. That's how I like to picture Jesus. And they're bouncing all these ideas back and forth off of each other, how they like to picture Jesus. And you're thinking, well, that's funny. The movie was funny, you know, but that's not how I picture Jesus. I'm more mature than you, obviously, David. Maybe you are. I hope that you are. But the reality is, is I don't know that we have much clearer of an understanding of who Jesus really is. We think that we know who he is because we've conjured up in our minds what we would like for him to be like because the Jesus that we've worked up in our minds doesn't mind our sins. The Jesus that we've worked up in our minds is cool with how we're living our life apart from him. The Jesus that we've worked up in our mind doesn't care if we're part of a Christian community giving and serving and actually loving him and loving others. That Jesus that you've conjured up in your mind, he doesn't care what you do because he's an imaginary Jesus that doesn't exist. The biblical Jesus that we're going to see today, he does care because he is resurrected so that you could know him. So we need a clear understanding of who he is and what he's not. And so we're going to cover what he is and who he is from this text, okay? So the first thing I want you to see from this text in verse 5 is that he is a faithful Witness. It says there in verse 5 that Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. See, he was faithful to witness of the Father, the will of the Father, even to the point of death. All right? That's the first thing I want you to see is he's a faithful witness. Verse 5 then continues. It says that he is the firstborn of the dead. Jesus has done what no one else has ever done. He lived, he died, he rose again, but then he stayed alive. Okay? See, Lazarus was raised from the grave. He lived, he died, he rose again, but eventually Lazarus did pass away for good to go to be with the Lord. But Jesus is still alive today. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And so that fact that he's the firstborn of the dead guarantees us, those that are in Christ, that we will then precede him in being alive from being dead because he's the firstborn of the dead. Verse 5 also goes on to tell us that Jesus loves us. He loves us. He loves us when we didn't love him. No one in this room or sitting in any other church across this world loved Jesus before he loved them. You only are able to love God because he first loved you. The next thing we see in verse 5 is this, that Jesus frees us from our sins. This This is the resurrected Jesus. He frees us from our sins. Sin has no claim on us after Jesus has freed us by his blood. It has freed us from sin's 
penalty. It's justified us. It has freed us from the power of sin in our current life by sanctifying us. And here, get this, one day it will free us from the presence of all sin when we are glorified in eternity with the resurrected Jesus. That's the Jesus that we're going to see here. The next thing you see about this Jesus that is resurrected is in verse 7, he is coming again. It says that he will descend there in verse 7, that he will descend from the clouds. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. In verse 8, it says that he is the Alpha and Omega. He is who is and who was and who is to come. He's the Almighty. And then in verse 17, it says that he is the first and the last. So just another way of saying that he is the Alpha and Omega. He is before time. He is eternal. Verse 18, he says that he is the living one. And then in verse 18 there, he says that he was dead and now he is alive. Now I want you to hear this because some will say, well, in verses 7 and 8, when he's saying I'm the Alpha and Omega, I'm the Lord God, that is God the Father speaking, that is not Jesus speaking. Well, here when he says in verse 18 that he was the living one, and before that in verse 17 he says, I am the first and the last, I am the living one, I died and behold, I am alive. What that is showing is that he is the Alpha and Omega, and at no point did God the Father die. And so when he says I was I died and now I'm alive, he is solidifying his deity as God, okay? But now, there's more. There's more who is Jesus. Let's look at his appearance, because when John sees the resurrected Jesus, it is quite the thing to take in. It says there in verse 13 that he saw someone like the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the heavenly Messiah who is Man and God fully in the midst of the lampstands. I'm not going to get into the whole lampstand thing except for saying the lampstands are um, illustrations of the churches. Um, There's seven churches that John writes to in Revelation, but speaking currently in this time, even Heights Community would consider to have a lampstand. We are a church that God is in the midst of. Jesus is here in the midst of us right now, present, fully with us, okay? And so he sees someone like the Son of Man, a heavenly Messiah. The next thing we see here in the text is in verse 13, it says that he was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. See, Jesus is dressed as a Old Testament high priest because he is the high priest, intercessing for you and for me before God the Father right now and into eternity. He is intercessing for us. And now the size of this robe matters. And I want to point you to Isaiah 6, verse 1. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, verse 1. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. See, this matters, the size of this robe. And you see that Jesus is clothed in a long robe. It's because it shows his holiness, his grandeur, his righteousness, that he would fill the whole temple because he is God. We need to see that. We need to understand that. And then it goes on in this text in, in verse 14. It says, the hairs of his head were white. This shows that he has wisdom, profound wisdom, everlasting age. I mean, in that time when this would have been written in 96 AD, that would have spoke to his age, his eternal age and the wisdom that comes with having a hair of, of white. But then it goes on, and it says in, in verse 14 that his eyes were like a flame of fire. 
But here, this is interesting because you compare that then with the hair, the white hair of the age. But his eyes were bright, burning like fire. That just shows his eternalness, his, his ability to, he's ageless. There is no, he's not got dull eyes. He's not tired. He's not worn out. He has a burning fire in his eyes. He has insight to all matters. He can see what we do not see. He has the fullness of power. And then we go on, and it says there in verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. It shows his permanence, his stability. The foundation of all things is built upon him. It goes on there and says in verse 15 that his voice was like the roar of many waters. This is the powerful, sovereign, authoritative voice that spoke all things into existence. Nothing exists apart from Jesus. When it says in Genesis that he said, let there be light, that is Jesus speaking it into existence. This is the voice of the risen Savior. And then it goes and it says that in the right hand of seven stars, it shows his protection and authority over the church. See, there's not one of us pastors that's over this church. There's Jesus Christ. He is the head of this church. He is the head of the church. And those seven stars, that shows his authority over his church. And it goes on and says, from his mouth, a two-edged sword which speaks to his perfect judgment and his word, which is true. See, one day he's going to judge the whole world. Whether believer or unbeliever, he is going to judge everyone who has ever lived and died on this earth. And it says in the Bible that his word is like a, is sharper than a two-edged sword. It will cut through bone and marrow. That is the risen Jesus. Lastly, it says that his face was shining like the sun, which shows his worthiness to be praised, his brilliance, his holiness, his righteousness, he is more awesome than we can even comprehend. That's Jesus. That is the risen Jesus. That's the God that we got to sing to, okay? So when we try to picture Jesus in our minds, I hope that your mind goes to something like this and not something else. Uh, some meek, mild, white, pale-skinned dude with blonde, long hair and blue eyes, because that ain't him, all right? That ain't Jesus. This is Jesus. Now, I want to ask you, how do you respond to that Jesus? Because the way you respond to the risen Jesus needs to be in a way you haven't responded to anything. So a proper response to the risen Jesus is our next point. The text tells us what happens when John sees him in verse 17. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He fell flat on his face. Hear me. He fell flat on his face as though dead. Now, this is, the, this is John, who has seen Jesus before. It's not like he's never seen him before, but he sees Jesus for all that he is, and he does not know what to do. When we see Jesus for all that he is glorified, and we see ourselves for how sinful we are, it's more than we can take in. I mean, literally, Friday, I, I couldn't take in how sinful I was, and all I needed to do was carry a pulpit up, and I didn't feel worthy to do that. Imagine if I was in the presence of the Lord. Imagine if you were in the presence of the Lord. How are you going to respond? John fell flat on his face. It should be overwhelming. The fact that we're even here today should just overwhelm you to get to worship him. But too often, we're not overwhelmed. We do one of two things. We just think less of Jesus. We think, well, he's a friend of sinners, right? He ain't with Matthew, the tax collector, and his buddies. He's cool with sinners. He doesn't care if I sin. And listen to me. He is a friend of sinners. He died for you and me as sinners who did not love him. But he ain't cool with your sin. 
He ain't cool with it. You keep living in sin and thinking, well, it's cool. What that shows is an unchanged heart. And so he's not cool with your sin. And so when we're not overwhelmed by Jesus, it's because we think less of him. Or, number two, we see ourselves as on the same level as Jesus. Now, yes, if you're a believer, you have been imparted his righteousness. You are, you are cleansed of your sins. There is no doubt of that, but you are not on his level. All right? You are not, you're not even close. You're not even a close second. It's just the reality of it. You're not on his level. And here's the deal. Both of these responses come from a place of self-righteousness and deception. You are deceived. I am deceived at times by Satan. Being so wrapped up in ourselves, so overwhelmed with the world and ourselves and what we do, our job and our relationships and and our Facebook status, our Instagram nonsense, all that stuff. We get so wrapped up in all of our things. We're so overwhelmed with ourselves that we can't be Overwhelmed with Jesus, we're just underwhelmed with him. I want to show you another response to God. I mentioned Isaiah 6 earlier and how Isaiah saw the robe of the Lord fill the temple. And this is, I'm going to keep going there in verse 1, Isaiah 6. It says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. A seraphim is an angel. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And this is Isaiah's response. He said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Listen, Isaiah didn't just feel his own sinfulness, but he felt the sinfulness of everyone he's dwelt with. He says, I I dwell among people who are of unclean lips. Not just himself, but he realized his sinfulness, and he knew that he could not be in the presence of this God. The angels, if you notice, they have six wings. They're using two to cover their face from the glory of God and two to cover their feet because that would be unclean, and then flying with the other two. That's how holy he is. When John encountered this Jesus in all his glory, he just laid on his belly face down. I just, how do we respond? How do we respond to this God? Are we okay just to come in here today and, you know, it's just whatever. You know, I'm going to check a box. I went to church on Easter. Big deal, okay? I'm just going to be straight with you. Big deal. God ain't impressed that you showed up here today. He ain't impressed one bit. He, what he's impressed with is his son who died for you, okay? That's who he's impressed with. And when you're in him, then he is impressed with you. Only through Jesus. And so how is your response to Jesus? Because John's response, Isaiah's response, it's different. It's different than what we can even fathom because we haven't seen God in that. But you can see God for more than what you've ever imagined right now in this life. But here's the deal. Jesus' response to John is so kind and so loving and so comforting. And that's what I want us to see next is that Jesus will respond to us in our reaction to him. Let me explain what I mean by that. In verse 17, it says that Jesus laid his right hand on John. And so just, a, just the fact that it's his right hand speaks volumes, because right hand is a hand of power, not the left hand. And so he lays his right hand on John, and he tells him, Fear not, 
I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys to death and Hades. This is important to understand because it's coming, it's a comforting thing. For the maker of all things to tell you to not fear. I mean, you're, you're standing before him. You're seeing all that there is to take in, and he's saying, fear not. Now, here's the reality. Because in verse 7, it tells us that he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes, this means that when they say all tribes in the Bible, that means all people. No, no one's excluded. All tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. When's the last time you cried? Maybe you cried during worship. Maybe you cried watching a movie. Maybe you cried because um, you stubbed your toe. I don't know. But here's the deal. When's the last? I bet you haven't wailed. I bet you had to sit and just, just soaked and just cried and wailed. But one day when Jesus returns, you're going to. You're going to wail on account of him because he's coming back. Everyone will see him, even those who pierce them. That's you, that's me, that's the Jews, that's everyone's going to see him and they're going to respond. None will be excluded. We will all respond with tears, but the emotion behind those tears will be different. The emotions behind those tears will be different and Jesus' response will be different. See, some of us are going to mourn and cry in repentance and salvation. We're going to see that risen Jesus coming down from the clouds, and we are going to respond, and we're going to cry out for him to save us. We're going to cry out in repentance of our sins because we're going to finally, in the fullness, understand just how sinful we have been for our whole lives, and that he has saved us. But then others will cry out in remorse and fear as the just and righteous judgment of Jesus is poured out. But instead of seeking salvation and comfort from Jesus, they will seek death. So hear me, if you're sitting in this room and you're not a believer, when Jesus returns, you will cry out for death. And I'm not making that up. I'm just preaching to you from the Bible because if you want, you can go later. We have Bibles underneath our chairs. You can take it home with you and read this in Revelation 9. It says that those who are not believers will hide in caves and mountains, and they're going to beg and pray and cry out that those mountains will crush them and kill them so they don't have to deal with the wrath of God. Because that risen Jesus that we all want to celebrate and, and put on some Easter baskets and Easter eggs or whatever it is you do, he ain't coming back all nice and kind. He's coming back to get his people and to pour out his wrath on those who are not. All right, so happy Easter. <laughs> Here's why this matters, okay? Here's why this matters. Because you're in one of two groups. You're either in the group that's going to be told fear not or you're in a group that's going to be told, away with you, I never knew you. See, in Matthew 7, Jesus says that at the end, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, I did these things in your name. Because here's the reality. Our churches are filled with people who say they're Christians, but they're not really Christians. They just grew up in church, or they're morally a good person, they thought, compared to their neighbor or whatever their standard of judging their morality was. And they never gave their life to Christ. And Jesus is going to say, away with you, I never knew you. Those people are wailing not in the same response. He's going to respond to them different. He's not going to lay his hand on their shoulder and say, fear not. Can you imagine that? To be sitting there looking at this and you know, like, this is it. This is the moment. Like, either eternity is going to go one of two ways and you can either be told, fear not or away from me. I, I want so bad to know that each and every person in this room, I say this with all sincerity, that you 
would be told to fear not. Like, it breaks my heart, the idea of anyone going to hell. You can ask anyone else on staff. Like, that is my biggest concern. I don't care about anything else other than you guys knowing the risen Jesus and having salvation through him. So you could spend eternity with him because he will tell some of us away from me. That should be a stern warning to us. We didn't just get right with God because we showed up today. It didn't work. It doesn't work like that. I'm glad you're here because no matter what your feelings are about being here, I'm going to walk away knowing when I go to eat my dinner with my family that I preach the gospel to you. And the Holy Spirit will do the rest because I don't save. It's, it's him. So being right with God means total surrender to him, fully turning from your sins, repenting and falling on your face before him and him telling you, fear not. Then, then you've experienced all sufficient comfort that nothing else could ever give you. And I want to show you how Jesus comforts. That's our next point, is that the comfort of the risen Savior surpasses all things. The fact that Jesus is risen, it's a game changer. Because as that text that we read in the beginning um, from 1 Corinthians there in 15, it's saying, like, there's, this is in vain if, we're, if there's no risen Savior. There's, this is pointless. There'd be no comfort for eternity. We would just be kind of milling around, waiting to die, and then that's it. We're just dead. And there's, there's no comfort in that. There's no purpose in that. But he is risen. And because of that truth, we can have comfort. And I'm going to show you five ways that we can have comfort through Jesus from this text. Five ways. First one is it says grace to you in verse four. As John writes this, he says grace to you. And here's the reality of, of life is not the world or any other world religion offers you grace. It offers you come work, come do things, come try to earn stuff. I mean, that's what most other world religions are saying. It's like you come do enough stuff and we'll see if you get good and far enough along that you get forgiven of your sins. Maybe you can do more good than bad and you'll outweigh it. It doesn't work that way. The world doesn't show you grace. As soon as you cross the line, you do one thing bad, you're canceled. You're done. You're kicked out. You're not friends anymore. They don't want to talk to you. You're banned from Facebook. You don't know what to do. Your whole life's a mess, right? But Jesus, he doesn't cancel you. He tells you to bring your burden to him because his burden's light. That's the Jesus that we get to serve, and that's the Jesus that comforts us with his grace. The next thing you see there in verse 4 is it says peace from him. Again, the world, other world religions, it doesn't tell you peace. It tells you to, to do more, to keep working, and, and you'll just you'll see where you get. I've been to Indonesia twice. It's the largest Muslim country in the world. And go there, and we witnessed the Muslims and, and talking to them, and I'd I knew why they were going to pray, I just to play the card of the dumb Westerner so I can spark gospel conversations with them. I'd say, why, why do you guys do that? What are they calling for all you guys to go to that mosque for? They go, oh, well, we got to go pray. I said, oh, really? Like, what, why? What for? I said, well, if we do that and we give alms and we give to the poor and we go tr make a trip to Mecca, which I just find absolutely just ridiculous because it's a third world country and most of them are so poor, they will never travel to Mecca. Um, if they do those things, that's how they try to earn their salvation, their forgiveness of sins. There's no peace in that. Because I would ask them, well, when do you know that you're guaranteed to be forgiven of your sins? And they would say, well, I don't know. I said, well, like, soon? Will someone tell you? No, I don't, I don't know. I said, well, about when you die? Will you know then? No, we might have to go to hell for a while and have our sins burned off. I said, oh, well, that doesn't sound like peace. But Jesus gives us peace because he's risen from the grave. Verse 5, it tells us 
Another way that he comforts us is that he loves us. He loves us. He says, to him who loves us and has freed us. See, Jesus loves us. There's no other religion that talks about a God who loves you. It's a distant God, a mechanical God who just set everything into motion and watching it play out. And if you do good, maybe he'll save you. And if not, he might strike you down. There's no love in that. There's no give in that. Only Jesus Christ stepped down from being God, took on flesh, and went to a cross to die for you. That's love. That's comfort. That's the kind of comfort that I know each and every one of you want to experience, whether you want to admit it or not. You want that kind of comfort because you want that kind of love to know that you're ultimately loved unconditionally. And he tells us the fourth thing I want you to see and how Jesus comforts us is he he freed us. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. The world does not want you to be free. The world doesn't want you to be free at all. It wants you to be stuck in the, just in the rat race and in this slave to consumerism. It wants you to be stuck in your, just being wrapped up in yourself and what you want to do because Satan is ruling over this world. And if he can keep you stuck in that rat race, what he's done is he's just lulled you to sleep. And every time you try to pop your head up to see what's going on with God, he says, no, 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 you're good. You're good. Just stay there. To stay there. But see, Jesus has freed us from that. He has freed us from the grind. He has freed us from being stuck in our sins by his blood and by his resurrection. And then the fifth thing, this is so good, fifth thing that he does to give us comfort is that he gives us an identity and belonging. We see that in verse 6. It says that he has made us a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Each and every one of you, You want to belong, you want to be liked, and you say, I don't care if anyone likes me. Yeah, you do. I guarantee you do. You're sitting there counting them Facebook posts and seeing how many likes you get, and then you post something later. You're going to post a picture of you and your family in your little Easter outfits, and then tonight, ooh, I got 99 likes. (laughs) You want to be liked. You want to feel like you belong. You want to feel connected. You want community. You want to have friends. You want your family to love you and care about you, and ultimately, that is not going to suffice is not going to fulfill you, but Jesus gives you an identity. He gives you a belonging. He makes you part of the kingdom of God, a child of God when he saves you because he has risen from the grave. He makes you a priest in that kingdom. He gives you identity. He makes you known. That is comforting. And so if you're here today and you don't have that, you don't have that kind of comfort, I want to ask you what is keeping you from crying out? What is keeping you from falling flat on your face and crying out before Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've never given my life to you, but today I'm asking for that kind of comfort. Will you come and place your hand on me and say that you love me and that I don't need to fear anymore. I don't need to try to earn anything that you've got it. Because here's the reality of this life. You're never going to find comfort apart from Jesus. You won't. You can keep searching. You can think that it's going to be in your kids. And if your kids are grown, you can think you're going to find comfort in your grandkids. They won't either. Sorry, grandparents. But you'll, they're not going to comfort you. They're little sinners just like you. All right? You might think you're going to find comfort in your retirement or in whatever you do. You won't. It's not going to, it's not going to give you what you need. But Jesus 
will. It's why he went to the cross. It's why he rose from the grave. And so today, as we sit here, I hope that as we're getting ready to respond to this gospel, that you will take this in, that you will understand your sinfulness and that our need for this Jesus who died on the cross. Because here's the deal. All of us have sinned. Romans 3.23 tells us that. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then the cost of that sin is, is huge. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, hear that, folks. The price that you're going to pay for your sin is eternal death, separated from God for all of eternity. So all things good, all things, God's common grace that he's shed upon all of us, just the fact that you're taking a breath, it's going to be removed. I don't know how horrible hell would be, but it's not, there's going to be nothing pleasant about it. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, 8. He died for us while we were still sinners. We didn't do anything to deserve it. It was just purely grace that he came and he died for us while we were still sinners, which means we can have the comfort of him if we truly surrender to him. And surrendering to him looks like this from Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is why Jesus came, so he could die in your place, and so that you could find the comfort of everlasting life through him. So if you're here today and you're not a believer, I am I'm begging you, literally begging you to give your life to him. Do not walk out those doors and think, oh, well, I went to Easter because they invited me. I had to go. Like, let's go eat ham. No, like... Stop. Like, stop everything you're doing and give your life to Jesus. You will not regret it. He will comfort you. And if you're here today and you are a believer, but you've grown numb to Jesus, you don't fall at your face anymore, you're just like kind of ho-hum about it. Maybe you ain't been here in a while because of COVID, or maybe you just ain't came to church in a long time because you just gave up caring, honestly. I just... I'm asking you today during this time to respond, like truly, like take in who he is and see that he calls for your utter surrender, for your just, your utter worship, like to give him everything that you have and not just to act like it's just something you can take or leave on the day depending on how you feel, but it's everything, it's your whole life. So we're going to respond to the gospel. I hope that you're awestruck by who he is and his, and worshiping him and just this risen Jesus I know that today was not your typical Easter sermon. I, I knew that writing it, but I hope it is something that just impacted you and that spoke to your heart that he is worthy of our worship because he is risen. So here's what we're going to do. If you're not a believer, I ask that you just pray. Even if you don't even believe there's a God, just pray and ask him to move in your heart. See what he does. What's the worst that could happen? You walk out of here and think the same thing you thought before you came in? If you're a believer, take communion. We get to celebrate that he's risen, that he gave his life for us. And so take communion and just rejoice in that and ask him to just, just to stroke a, a deeper fire and burning for him, for him in your hearts. And then just pray and sing to him and worship him. This is what it says about taking communion, 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, 
This cup is new, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's celebrate him.